to the August 22nd edition of the PFF Forecast. We're recording early Tuesday. We just couldn't help ourselves because Aaron Rodgers is playing this weekend. So, uh, you know, we had to get some had to get some preseason shots out there. We're also going to talk to our championship both with and without the uh, starting strokes and a little bit of NFL news. It'll be a great show. Let's rock. it that uh you were seen hobnobbing with um the elite of the elite at joint practices today at training camp um you know care to share is that something that's proprietary information you really can't you know with us peasants uh give up anything yeah i can neither confirm nor deny those reports uh coming out of eagles training camp but uh it was a great day uh joint practice between the eagles and the colts and people probably have heard about this by now but it ended about half an hour early because it started to get a little chippy uh an eagles player i think it was Zaire franklin the linebacker hit kenneth gainwell late our guy kenny gainwell and jason kelsey obliterated him like like knocked him like off his feet like like airborne uh so then we had benches clear which in training camp, you've got to quickly realize benches clear is like 160 people uh, because there's these massive rosters right now. So uh, that that dissipated and, and it was all good and good and all. But uh, main takeaway, good luck to anyone trying to cover A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. I don't think they had a pass broken up the entire day today. Uh, it was pretty impressive. I think we've talked about the Eagles being um, a pretty robust receiving core. Uh, before we did the the NFC East training or uh, preseason preview, um, and that I I feel like just seems to continue to be borne out. Everything that I've heard about those two guys has been fantastic as well. Um, Jason Kelsey is interesting because he's got a podcast now, and he sounds like the holliest, jolliest, nicest guy on planet Earth. It's so funny, um, but he's kind of he's a he's a mean dude in the trenches. Um, I guess I was hoping for some sort of insider information. There is some information, uh, I guess, about Jonathan Taylor and some injuries. Let's just hit that quickly. If there are any kind of potential betting angles and then we can move on. Yeah. So I, I was going to be the classic beat reporter who takes like a zoomed in grainy picture of Jonathan Taylor standing like 400 yards away. Uh, but yeah, he was wearing a, he was wearing a hoodie off in the corner, not doing anything. Um, I honestly didn't even know it was him until someone pointed it out, but, but yeah, I think the angle here is. I have seen markets crop up. These markets usually are like offshore, Bovada, et cetera, for, you know, which team is Jonathan Taylor going to take his next snap? Whatever number Indianapolis Colts are at, if it's a plus money number, I think is borderline free money. Look, I just don't see a scenario where a team is going to give up a first round pick or picks equivalent to a first round pick uh, was the report that came out to then bring him aboard and make him, I don't know, second highest paid running back in the NFL behind Christian McCaffrey. I just don't, that's not happening in today's NFL. So yeah, if you can bet on Jonathan Taylor to play his next snap in Indy, I'd probably do it. What do you think about that, Judah? I mean, I, my initial reaction would be, yeah, hundred percent. But at the same time, all it takes is one, one team to fall in love with a really talented running back. We've seen this happen before, most notably my 49ers. So I don't know. It only takes one. That worries me. Yeah. I think I'm with Brad, but like 
it's also and without the insider information maybe brad's just just hiding it from us it's it could get to a point where uh there's some you know market meeting of like okay uh we're not going to pay you know first round pick a second round pick and like jonathan taylor really does get his way out in which case like there could actually be a market i'm with brad though i mean like who who's gonna pay especially this late and off in the offseason we've already seen a bunch of uh, running back moves for for teams who who could use some depth uh, just for the asking price of uh, what Jonathan Taylor presumably wants to then have to pay him. Uh, it just seems kind of uh, out of line. I think I, I, I'd be pretty surprised uh, if he plays for anyone but the Colts. Here is some inside info. Uh, it has, I think, been put out there. Maybe not by any of the national guys, but I, I did see. Uh, I think his name is Barry Jackson of Miami put this out. But I also heard this independently. The Miami Dolphins are one team that has at least had conversations. I don't know how far along they are. I have no clue if they've talked about actual value. Um, I think the big thing now is when you give an agent permission to go seek out a trade. Really, what that guy is doing is actually going to figure out. If you acquire my guy, what extension are you willing to give him? Um, you know, therefore, would I even want to go to your team in the first place? And look, maybe Taylor says, I'll go to a contender and not sign a deal as opposed to staying with the team that drafted me, who's probably going to win five, six games this year um, and and not get a deal. So maybe that is a, a line they can kind of you know, navigate. But yeah, only team I've heard any interest. I've been reaching out to a million people say any any other team you think might get in the mix and and have, you know, had crickets in, in response. Yeah, interesting. The, I, mean, I guess uh... that makes sense. The other thing I, I I'm looking at the markets. I kind of expected like Jonathan Taylor to be off the board. Um, I'm looking at just like the most rushing touchdowns and most rushing receive uh, most rushing yards. And Jonathan Taylor still got the uh, the third best odds at at plus eight hundred. Uh, I also just have to mention as I'm looking at it that like Brees Hall is still and Ramondre Stevenson for that matter are still in the top ten uh, to to lead uh, in rushing yards. I don't think the market has. Uh, I mean, it's either this is just like totally they're not updating and it's uh, it's it's one of the softest markets out there, or this is signaling that like Jonathan Taylor is probably sticking in this in this same situation uh, if the prices haven't really moved since uh, a couple months ago. JSN got hurt, um, and we were all really excited about him. I think you know my Seahawks bets still. Still feel pretty good. I think getting them at plus 550 when they're like sub 200 down to win the the NFC West. But Brad, I hear wrist surgery and I immediately think like season ending, but apparently built different. Built different JSN. Yeah. Uh, Schefter, Schefter put out today is actually in Philadelphia. I'm not really sure why, but got wrist surgery in Philly um, and is still maybe going to play week one. I will say recently with Seattle, remember last year with Kenneth Walker with his groin, uh, what I think he had like a, a hernia or something like that. And they were extremely optimistic. And then I think he did miss a little bit of time or wasn't fully healthy. So my guess is he probably doesn't play or is limited maybe the first one or two weeks of the year. Um, but yeah, no, we're not going to let that stop our shine and ruin our bullishness on our Seattle Seahawks. Thanks, Ronja. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, look, if anything, I, I want to buy in, in best ball if we get some, uh, you know, JSN's ADP falling. And the, the truth is, if you're looking at the, the Seahawks team, uh, they can kind of afford to, to lose him, right? It, it's a different... Like you're talking about the Eagles, I actually think it's a very interesting conversation, which is like they're actually kind of fragile at the wide receiver position. Where it's like if one of AJ Brown or Devonta Smith goes down, like I actually think we can see a pretty big 
collapse from the passing offense just because like if a defense can kind of divert all their attention to one of those guys like it actually changes the entire equation but like the Seahawks still have Tyler Lockett they still have, they still have DK Metcalf uh Jazz Hand's a wonderful piece to add to that and I think kind of you know leads to a lot of the optimism we've, we've shared on this podcast but they still have two guys who can who can get open I think the injury they can deal with it more so than than some other teams and look they don't need to rush him back and I think he'll, he'll still be an effective weapon it's not like it's a leg injury where like maybe he's not, you know, pushing off fully or can't cut. It's a wrist that's going to heal. Uh, it's not really going to affect his, his performance once it's fully healed. They also play the Rams week one. So no need to rush whatsoever for our guy, JSA. <laughs> you mentioned best ball. And I, that was the angle that I was thinking of too. Um, I was privy to some research that Timo is publishing about kind of optimal um, builds I hate using the word builds because I sound like a freaking, you know, nerd <laughs> here, but um, for best ball. And I was reading it last night. Uh, last thing I did before I went to bed, which tells you what I think about um, Timo's uh, research. It is second to none. Um, and my response to him, I just sent him a slack. I think it was probably 5 a.m. his time in Germany. I was like, we might need to play some best ball. Because one of the takeaways is, you know, kind of the way that you're constructing your lineup, you really want to be thinking about, which backups are giving you the bit the, the biggest marginal contribution to your team? And so when do you pick those backups, right? Because in best ball, those backups are going to play a lot more frequently because you get the, the highest scores in there. And so you're actually looking for players um, that offer kind of upside as backups, but at the beginning of your, of your drafts, you're obviously looking for consistency there. And so JSN, I think is an interesting one where as his ADP falls, to your point, Judah, I see him as a high kind of upside and variance guy. He's always obviously competing for targets with some other players. But in those situations where he has a mismatch as the second or third receiver, I, the dude, I think, could light it up. So I, I do think there's a real angle there. Yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm living under a rock, but I just saw this for the first time. Uh, the, the stats of JS and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson – at OSU when they all played together. And JSN had like 25 more catches and like 400 more yards than both of those guys. And like, obviously there, there's some kind of factors and that's not, that's not to say that like this should happen in the NFL, but we've seen before, you know, JSN absolutely dominate, earn targets at an extremely high rate with other great receivers. If anything, that's just kind of more fodder. Honestly, I can't believe I hadn't seen that. I was kind of blown away. Uh, those were high popping numbers. That. That blows my mind too. I I'm all in now. Okay, I'm I'm all in. I'm I'm gonna fire up some best ball. Um, I guess this is basically a built-in uh, ad read for yeah. uh, the draft <laughs> best ball tournament. And I didn't even make that up. That was just Brad. That's what we call in the biz a transition. Okay, I just and um, you're welcome. So DraftKings largest best ball tournament in history, ten million dollars in guaranteed cash prizes. You can make your entry today. And by that, I mean, you literally just go sign up with promo code PFF, get your first entry back in DK dollars. And then all you have to do is draft your team, set it and forget it. You don't have to add, drop, trade, do all this baloney. And what's cool about that is, as I just talked about, you can really think through your strategy and how you build these lineups because the highest scores, the top scores automatically count towards your team's point total each and every week. Um, I don't know when Timo's research will be out, but it will be out soon. And when it is, I'll make sure I let you guys know about it. Hop on board and uh, and ride the best ball train. One million dollar in top prize. Uh, One million dollar top prize, I should say, is up for grabs. So, what are you waiting for? 
I have no idea. Use promo code PFF, download the DraftKings app right now and start playing. If you have a gambling problem, call 100Gambler, age, eligibility restrictions, apply, void, where prohibited, see DraftKings.com for details. Okay, let's tr- uh, transition from um, football. We'll come back to football at the end and, and do a little preseason uh, best bets to wrap this up. But let's talk tour championship. We had a good conversation about this on Sunday and Sunday's pod. If you listen, uh, if not, it's okay. We're going to talk a little bit about it here. The tour championship is the winner take all uh, FedEx cup finale, meaning that the winner of this is going to make, what is it? $20 million, Brad? Um, no. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. It's insane. So this is a huge payday. Obviously these players make a lot of money, but this is going to motivate anyone. There are only 30 players. And the way that it works is to give the players that have been the best over the course of the season an advantage. Those players that are at the top of the rankings start under par. So Scotty Scheffler is at the top of the FedEx Cup standing. So he starts at a score of negative 10, 10 under par, all the way down to the, the players in 26th through 30th who started even. And so obviously to win the tournament helps to start at negative 10 versus zero or 10 under versus even. Um, And uh, that creates a kind of tricky way to wager on this, but the odds and the markets are up there for both the winner of the tournament overall and the winner without the starting strokes counted. In other words, if everyone starts at even, here's what the odds would be. I don't know about you guys, but I find the winner without starting strokes to be way more interesting because I really just don't know what to make of the starting strokes. I'm sure there are people out there with kind of a more scientific approach to it, but there's not a lot of data on that. I feel like it's a very hard thing, even if you have some modeling to try and apply. Like, are you looking at, you know, second round leaders with certain advantages and how they play? Like, I feel like that's a lot. So I kind of want to start out with the winner without starting strokes. I don't know what you guys think. I'm with you 100%. I mean, I think they've only done this for a couple of years. So, yeah, even if you did have the data, you're working with sample sizes of like two, three seasons. So, um, but I agree. I think it's, and we talked about a little bit pre-show, but when you get into the conversation of a guy at even versus a guy at minus 10, what is what are their mentalities like coming in, the aggressiveness, all of that? I think it makes the winner without the strokes fascinating to, to kick off with. So these are on DraftKings, and Judah is our resident check other books to find arbitrage member of the crew. So he will do that. We're going to read the ones on DraftKings right now. Rory McIlroy is plus 450. Uh, and Brad, do you have the, the starting scores out? I think that would be important context for us. But here, here they are. These are without starting strokes. But I think that where they start is going to be important. I'll get to that in a second. Rory plus 450, Scotty Scheffler is 5 to 1, John Rahm 8 to 1, Xander is 9 to 1, Victor Hovland 10 to 1, Patrick Cantlay is 12 to 1, Max Homa 14 to 1, Terrell Hatton 20 to 1, Tommy Fleetwood and Ricky Fowler both 25 to 1, Colin Morikawa 28 to 1. I'm going to read this whole list because I think it's worth talking about. Um, Matt Fitzpatrick and Jordan Spieth, along with Russell Henry and Sung J M, are all 35 to 1. Brian Harmon, Wyndham Clark, and Corey Connors is like the who knew they were going to win a major category, along with Tom Kim are all 40 to 1. Sam Burns, 45 to 1. Lucas Glover, 55. Tommy Finau, 60, along with Keegan, uh, Keegan Bradley. Siwoo Kim, Jason Day, 65. Emiliano Grillo, Sepp Straka, both 80 to 1. Nick Taylor, Adam Shank, Taylor Moore, 150 to 1. Um, so let's start here, Brad. My thought is, okay, the player that's starting, players that are starting out closer to negative 10, minus 10, Scotty Scheffler, uh, Rory, 
Hovland is up there. They are, they, they know that they should be in this at the end. So going out, they don't need to fire super low scores, you know, coming out round one, round two. But if I'm looking for an advantage here, my thought is, let me find a player who's capable of going pretty low, who is going to sit there and go, look, I'm trying to win 10 mil here. Okay. Or was it 18 million? I, whatever it was. Um, I'm going to go out and try and shoot, shoot some low sixties. And you might be getting, I think, value on a player at longer odds that you would normally not get in a scenario where they're actually incentivized to go super, super low and throw some caution to the wind. And the guys at the top who are all really good players normally would be competing with, say, a Jordan Speed. Their mentality is going to be much more conservative, I think, given that they're starting with a lead. That's kind of my the way that I'm approaching this stuff. So I agree with you, and I think the way you can maybe take advantage of this is the market I like the most looking at right now. You can check it out on Data Golf, but you can bet round one matchup specifically because I think, again, as the tournament goes on, mentalities are going to change. How they approach the play is going to change. I do agree with your thesis of, you know, that top cluster is going to probably, hey, I'll shoot 200 today and see where that gets me, and the bottom guys are going to try to break the course record and see what happens. So I think in, in the first round, Picking some of those matchups apart, I think, is how you go about it. Um, I guess I'll just I'll take us right into my, my first bet, my probably my favorite bet of the entire weekend thus far. Um, I've talked about our guy Siwoo Kim before. Um, he is at minus two to start the tournament, and Sep Straka is at even, you know, the last group versus the third to last group. So both, though, in my mind, like, I think those players come in with the same mentality. It's like, hey, I need to shoot very, very low to get into this thing. There's no cut over the weekend, but nevertheless, like I need to be, you know, going low sixties early to have a chance on Saturday and Sunday. Um, I think they'll both feel that way, but Siwoo Kim. So at this course at East Lake, uh, the two biggest things you're going to see here is driving accuracy is the most important facet coming into this tournament. And then also these guys are going to hit more irons over 200 yards than on average at a course they played during the season. Siwoo Kim is fourth in driving accuracy in this field and fourth in strokes gained on irons 200 plus yards. So I love that as a round one matchup over Sepp Straka because just like you're like, I just, I don't think minus two versus even has a different approach to the, the first day, maybe the weekend. Yes. But the first day and they're both just trying to shoot 62s. I like that one a lot. Um, the first, so the first round is interesting. I guess you probably can't get many kind of lopsided um, matchups in round one. What I mean by that is a player that's starting out at say, you know, Scotty Scheffler. I think the one that I'm seeing for him right now, you can, you know, take him versus Rory. Both of them are starting in relatively similar positions, right? You can't really pair a guy at the top of the, of the, the grid with a guy at the bottom. You kind of got to pair them up there. So I really like, that angle. Um, I'll, I'll t- I mean, I mentioned this guy. He, he's the one that comes to mind for me when I look at this group. I don't want to bet anyone, um, any one of the favorites. Uh, so Jordan Spieth is the first guy that comes to mind for me. I, th- I like Tommy Fleetwood here. I think 25 to one is a little, a uh, little rich for my blood, but at 35 to one, I'm looking for a player like Spieth, who's got the ability to get hot. And not just from a ball striking perspective, but certainly also from a putting perspective. We know that's a super unstable stat in um, in golf. Um, but in this situation, you know, he is going to be incentivized to try and make every putt. And so I think he's the type of guy that I would want with that mentality at 35 to 1. So I, I'm looking at 35 to 1 and below 
players that I believe have the variance to go super low and get themselves, um, you know, into contention. The other thing to consider here is just a player that can go low the last day. And, and why is that? Because to win without starting strokes, you could actually be mediocre to average the first couple of days. There's no cut. And then the last day you go out, you throw a caution win, you, know, you shoot a 60, 61. The, the other players maybe don't have the greatest days out there. They're battling it out and you can kind of sneak in and grab uh, a win without the starting strokes. I was thinking, and Judah, feel free to jump in, uh, another approach and angle to the the without starting strokes uh, approach. And I'm half kidding, but I'm really not. The, the guys that can't get the job done, like a Patrick Cantlay, where with strokes, he let's say he loses by a couple to Scotty Scheffler, whatever, but he actually does have the best four days of the weekend. He just can't actually close it out on a Sunday and win the tournament, you know, because this obviously is just a betting market. It's not actually anything to do with the actual tournament. Like, I think there's those guys as well where they're phenomenal golfers. They match up well with the course. They're coming in playing good golf. Um, and, but we don't like them to actually win tournaments because they always kind of seem to get up there and then falter on, uh, late in the day on Sunday. Um, but, you know, he could, like I said, he beat all the guys around him score-wise, lose by two strokes to a guy who started, you know, four or five strokes ahead of him, and, and that's it. Yeah. George, I'm, I'm pretty surprised you didn't mention your guy, Wyndham Clark. Uh, mm. I'm looking at at 40 to one. I, I totally agree with kind of your uh, your framework of, of like guys who are going to you know, first of all are capable of just putting up huge scores. And obviously he's done that. He won the uh, the Wells Fargo Championship, the U.S. Open. He has had a bunch of kind of gaudy, uh, you know, I don't know, shooting 27 under in a couple tournaments. Uh, even played very well uh, last weekend at the BMW Championship, six under. But I also like he's a guy who's very aggressive. And kind of we were talking about like, you know, Jordan Spieth might be the type who like, as Brad said, is like trying to reinvent the, the sport of golf and, you know, trying to take some crazy shot. But like, that's kind of Wyndham Clark's game. And if you get like the variance there to go right, like, I don't know, I'm thinking about like watching the U.S. Open and the guy's like taking chances and then just like chipping from like deep, deep in the rough and just like have some miracle shot to like save par, save birdie. So if you're going to be a guy who's going to get aggressive, you want someone who can kind of have these these saves uh, in a way that, that Wyndham Clark has been able to do in the past and obviously also has the kind of ability to, to put up some some scores quickly. The the other thing I'll mention, uh, I, I agree with your framework about like this kind of built-in conservatism. If you're Scotty Scheffler, you kind of have that every single time you play. Like you know you're the favorite. You know you're the best golfer. You know you just kind of got to like hang around, hang around, hang around and like let the kind of rest of the, of the field uh, – take shots because like you're starting at such an advantage. I don't think that's so different, uh, you know, in this tournament at all. And also like he might be starting, you know, you know, 10 under and like for the guy in 30th, that's a big gap, but like, there's still someone two strokes behind him. It's not as if he's like, Oh, I've got such a comfy lead. Like I'm up 21, nothing in the fourth quarter. It's not like that at all. And if Scotty Scheffler's not priced that adds, you know, the, the odds on favorite, that's, that's just a mispricing. I mean, the dude's the, the best golfer in the world right now. If you, if you look at any of the Tito Grusta, I mean, who like, it's like saying the chiefs are the best offense. Like the dude's obviously the best golfer in the world. Uh, but I guess this angle of like, Oh, he's in the lead. Uh, you know, even like with strokes, maybe a little bit more conservative. I just don't buy it. Like, I think it's the same mindset as, as any other tournament. I think you have to have that same mindset. I mean, the, it's like the chiefs, but the year where they couldn't score in the red zone. That's what it is with Scotty Scheffler, right? He's fantastic between the 20s and he gets in the red zone and he's like, 
Andy Reid running, you know, pulling out hula hoops and doing, you know, random circus tricks in the red zone and they don't score at all. It's like, oh, another shovel to Travis Kelsey. Oh, wait, that's the backup tight end. He doesn't score again. You know, like that's what it is with him on the green. It's an absolute journey. The Wyndham Clark one is really interesting because we talk about data golf all the time. Shout out to data golf. Fantastic tool. Highly recommend. And um, you, you mentioned Wyndham Clark. So if you actually look at the um, they have a course fit tool on there. Shout out Brad, who introduced me to this. And what they do is they look at kind of the, the makeup of the course and what it requires, what people who have won there need to do in order to win, and then how you should adjust based on how the players playing traditionally play. So this is not perfect, right? In the sense that, you know, certain courses fit certain players, you know, with what they, what they're able to hit. And we saw Wyndham Clark hit that power fade throughout the U S open and be very successful, but this course, Eastlake, generally is favoring players who have above average driving accuracy. Now, traditionally, this is not where uh, Wyndham Clark has, has really kind of you know owned. Um, he also hasn't played this course before, but I think it's worth noting that he's actually been better than the field in driving accuracy in six of his last seven tournaments. And, you know, that I think it bodes well overall he has not been the most accurate driver of the golf ball he bombs it out there hits it a really really long distance so that may be an opportunity people thinking that this course doesn't really set up for him um but in actuality it's a good opportunity i'll highlight a player who this course does fit per data golf and, and that's lucas glover he has actually the best total strokes gained adjustment for this course um based on the, the kind of course fit. He's been playing well recently, really well recently, actually. He's got two wins, excuse me, in his last three. Uh, he finished T22 last week at the BMW Championship. Um, he's an incredibly accurate driver of the golf ball. Here's the other thing. He also doesn't play with a golf glove. That's just a gamer. He's got feel. That's the type of guy, like, you walk up and, and you see a guy who's playing without a glove. There's two options. The guy's never picked up a golf club before and it's going to be a total disaster or the dude's going to shoot like 69 and probably like smoke a cigarette at the same time. Um, that's, that's the kind of mentality you have to have if you're going to rock with no glove. Um, can you imagine like what his, his hand must be made of like Teflon to, to play golf without a golf glove? That's insane. At that volume, because I actually used to not wear one, and I was always kind of like, why do they wear them? And then I picked up golf at like a serious level and played like twice a week, and I was like, that's why they wear golf. Like, that's that's why that's a thing. I can't – yeah, he must be Moises Alou, like pissing on his hands in the dugout, you know, <laughs> or something. That's that's actually how his family got their last name. Um, that That's why they, they named him Glover, because he's just like – his hand is basically a glove. He doesn't need a uh, another one. Um, when I go golf – I mean, I need, I need a golf glove. I have to tape like my index finger below the first knuckle. Like if not, I mean, no matter what, like my pinky has no skin on the inside of it by the time I'm done. Um, it's a, it's a real journey. So, um, but that's one I think is worth ca calling out and, and Glover uh, here is 55 to one. Um, so, you know, really, really great value there in, in my opinion. I was not excited for the tour championship. I was trying to get excited for the tour championship. I'm really excited for the tour championship now. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'll throw one last, uh, you know, winner without strokes, a name, and it's Colin Morikawa, who I like him for 
the simple fact of, look, he's starting at minus one, so he's way down the board, but he had the back injury earlier in the season, started to play some better golf, was top, uh, I think tied 13 at, at the um, St. Jude, tied 25th last week. And he's a guy where, again, I, I almost think if he's not concerned with maybe winning the thing, he could just come out and shoot a bunch of low 60s. He, he's he's very accurate off the tee, which is extremely important. I mean, he's fourth on here in the, the overall stroke scan adjustment, but just is, is as talented as anyone in the field. And I could see it being like a, hey, let's get some good vibes going into next year. I'm healthy now. I'm playing some better golf, um, and just you know go super low, but doesn't really threaten the actual tournament. Um, but but wins the you know without strokes starting uh, field. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, any others that come to mind for you, Jude? I like your supporting of Wyndham Clark. Always a fan of Wyndham Clark here. Lifelong fan of Wyndham Clark and the Wyndham Clark story. So. As many of uh, you know, actually, some of you may not know. And if you don't, um, I highly recommend that you go join the PFF Printing Press Discord, where I was very open about my distrust for Wyndham Clark in the U.S. Uh, Open, where he was on the team that I picked in our in our little pool. Obviously, became a huge Wyndham Clark fan. But nonetheless, great place to go get um bets and tips, especially as news breaks and stuff like that. The NFL season coming up, it's going to be a huge opportunity. The link to join the Discord is in uh, the YouTube description. You can also find it uh, on our Twitter profiles or, or shoot us a DM if you cannot find it. Uh, we're giving away some merch and we'll be starting a Guess the Lions contest weekly. You'll want to get in before week one because I don't think we can, to win the whole thing, I feel like you've got to be in there from the start. We'll come up with a really cool prize for that. Obviously, you can win on a weekly basis as well, but highly recommend that you go check that out. Um, before we move on, any other bets that we'd like for the Tour Championship? Empty the clip. I'm putting in Discord now, so the people, we can read it before this even gets posted. There you go. That's the that's the membership benefit. Uh, okay, let's get on to some preseason. Uh, before we do, you guys travel a little bit. You were the training camp tour, Brad. You're you're traveling here to Canada shortly, uh, Judah. I mean, you had to go from New York to Philadelphia, which is a very arduous journey. Um, I travel a decent amount, and one of the things that always bugs me is when I'm traveling. It's so hard to get decent nutrition, and I'm kind of maniacal about like staying on my schedule, getting the workouts I want to get in, feeling good. And AG1 Athletic Greens has actually really changed the, the game for me here where I bring the travel packs with me and like I never worry about what I'm going to eat. So I always have one of those and it just keeps me in a really good spot, keeps my energy high, gets me the nutrients I, I need. And then I don't have to be the wet blanket when people are like, yeah, let's go out to the bar and like get some pizza. I'm like, oh, you know, I'd really like a protein packed sandwich here or, or salad, whatever. Um, so I, I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, Athletic Greens, now known as, I guess, AG1, um, is a really great kind of, I don't know, I would say it's like a cheat code sort of to get all of the nutrients that you need on a daily basis without having to like replan your entire, um, you know, uh, nutrition plan, which no one has time to do. So don't recommend you do that. Um, it's not super expensive. It's less than like three bucks a day. As I mentioned, the travel packs are huge. Nothing is worse than having to scoop like individual things into a Ziploc bag to travel with. You don't have to do that. They send you travel packs. Um, but anyways, you can try a free one-year supply of AG1. Um, 
and uh, get yourself kind of set up and ready to go for the NFL season where you don't want to be thinking about anything other than football. Um, so here you go. It's a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Um, all right, preseason. Let's get into it. Uh, who's actually playing preseason week three? Because normally it's nobody, right? Judah has the scoop there. Normally it is most teams just just skip it, but uh, Judah's got some info for us. Yeah, the, the one I've seen is that the Jets are going to be playing their starters, want to get Aaron Rodgers some reps. I think it's his first time playing in the preseason in like six years uh, or something like that. But I, I haven't seen any, granted we're, we're earlier in the week, I haven't seen anyone else come out and announce their plans except for, for the Jets. And what's the – so they are, I'm assuming – Four and a half point – yeah, yeah. Four and a half point favorites um, against the Giants. So, I guess, home game of sorts for both teams. Uh, over under 39. What do we think? I mean, my initial inclination is to say, as we did last week, that, look, if it's outside of three, you're probably overcounting over-crediting the role that starters are going to play um, in, in this game. Um, now, looking at the backups, I guess Zach Wilson has had a lot of run. He's played pretty well. Um, and I'm not super, uh, I guess, overjoyed with with the Giants backups. But I guess, how do you read that? My, my initial lean would be Giants. Yeah, I, I'm definitely on the Giants here. I think we were also talking about, like, the quarterbacks that are actually most successful in the preseason – are not the like uh, rookie quarterbacks, you know, the Stenson Bennett's of the world. They're like these four, a guys. And like, there's no better example of that than, than Tyrod Taylor. Uh, and he, he played, he had, you know, 19 dropbacks last week, had an 80, 80, 82.9 PFF grade, uh, which was, which was top 10. I expect to see a heavy dose of him. I also think the giants have a bunch of kind of uh, new weapons, right? Darren Waller, Jalen High had a bunch of guys that they got some run early in uh, the season that they're very deep, at the position it's like they don't th- they don't have a lot of top talent and like the units doesn't the units don't grade out well uh you know wide receiver but like all these guys are nfl caliber players they're very deep uh i think like tyrod taylor throwing to whether it's jalen hyatt or uh sterling shepherd uh, guys who haven't played in a while but are actually still very talented uh, i think they'll be like a pretty formidable offense out there and i love tyrod betting on tyrod taylor in a preseason game especially when you've got a four and a half point cushion it's funny. I actually forgot that Tyrod was their backup. I was trying to remember who their backup was. And I was like, oh, I can't think of him. He must not be good. And I was going to look it up while you were talking. And then you mentioned Tyrod. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's actually who it is. I remember seeing uh, him throw that to, to Jalen Hyatt. And it all kind of clicked for me. I love that. I love betting on Tyrod Taylor as an underdog um, in a game that matters so much more for him than than it does for Aaron Rodgers who's going to come out there and flip, flick a few passes around. The only goal for Aaron Rodgers is to successfully take the snap, not fumble the snap, and not get touched. That's the only goal, okay? Meanwhile, Tyrod Taylor's out here. The, the only reason people are watching this game or you know any preseason is to see Rodgers. So it's a huge opportunity, huge opportunity. I love it. I'm all in. I see it the same way. I mean, our, our guy, Ty God, how could we not? In Ty God, we trust. We need real football. This is the sign. 
that we really need real football. We just got overly excited about betting on Tyrod Taylor in a preseason game. That's why this is a great podcast with great people who listen to it, because I know everyone out there, members of the printing press, very excited to bet on Tyrod Taylor as well. Um, we will be back with you on Sunday evening. We only have a few Sunday evenings before we are officially guessing the lines uh, with everybody. We, uh, as I mentioned, have a little contest that we're setting up. We're going to be doing a dry run of that. Um, we may be able to pull it off uh, this Sunday. So you want to tune in so you can hear more about the contest you will need to join the Discord in order to uh, do so. So make sure that you get uh, involved there. Brad, you looked confused when I said that. Um, I don't know if that was directed no, that at was, me. That or was unrelated. That was unrelated. That was... I'll, I'll save that okay. for a, a hopefully, yeah, future inside scoop or something. <laughs> Look at that. Bradley yeah. Scoops. That was our <laughs> podcast. We love you all. We'll be back on Sunday evening. Peace out. Thank you.